You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Before we get stuck into this week's podcast, which is all about Formula One, uh, I just want to do my now customary Patreon shout out because Drive Nation is now on Patreon. Um, if you don't know, that effectively means that content creators like us can ask our supporters um, to contribute a little bit of money each month just to help to grow uh, DN, to help um, help us reach a bigger audience and make it more sustainable, bring in other voices and so on. Um, for everyone who does contribute um, to Patreon, and you can choose exactly how much you want to contribute, um, they get exclusive written content. Um, and I think we shared some good stuff so far upon Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash drive nation. Uh, please do support us if you can. And finally, a big, big, big thank you to everybody who, who has supported us so far. It really does mean a lot. I'll leave it there. I could bang on about Patreon for a long time, but it's probably not that interesting to listen to. So we'll talk about something more interesting. Formula One. Andrew. Hello, Dan. How, sorry, yes, I, I, I was so I was enjoying watching, listening to you wax lyrical about Patreon so much. I, I forgot to speak. Yes, Formula One. Um, <laughs> it's not because I think the forthcoming season is going to be terminally tedious or anything. Um, but yes, no, we have a rather belated new season of Formula One coming up, starting this weekend um, in Austria um, with a double header. The second one, the following weekend, being the Styrian GP. Mm. Um, and, and presumably this is because no single country can host two Grand Prix in the same year. Uh, not on the same... No, I think, I think that's exactly right. It's yes. a technicality, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is why when it goes to Silverstone on the 2nd and 9th of August, the first one is the British Grand Prix, and the second one is the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, the 70th anniversary of Formula One, which did indeed kick off at Silverstone in 1950. They got lucky with that, didn't they? The coronavirus they did, didn't they? hit. <laughs> that was fortuitous, actually. Yes. Um, I, should, I, should, I, should, I should say now, go on. top fact is that Silverstone, or the British Grand Prix, and Italian Grand Prix are the only Grand Prix 
which have run every single year since the start of the Formula One World Championship in 1950. Now, obviously, uh, the Italian Grand Prix has been at Monza, but not always. And the British Grand Prix has largely been at Silverstone Bulls, so and not always. But in terms of countries, Britain and Italy are the only ones to have held Grand Prix every single year. There you go. Top trivia over. Good knowledge. Good knowledge. Um, okay, so we, we have got the start of the, well, the, the severely delayed start of the 2020 season coming up this weekend. So it's a good opportunity to sort of uh, quite briefly look forward to this new season, um, but also... Or, or, or not look forward to it. Well, or not look forward to it. <laughs> Just wish it away, I suppose. Um, and, and also think about Formula One more broadly, um, have a look at the technical regulations that are coming in in a couple of years, and ask what Formula One needs to do to fix itself, if it needs to fix itself at all. Um, I suspect Andrew thinks it does. Um, okay, so it's, it's seven months... Uh, Andrew, since anybody has raced a Formula One car, wow, uh, we've had win- we've had winter testing, yeah, um, and a, f- a few of the teams have been out in the last couple of weeks, haven't they, in older cars just to let the drivers knock off the rust. But nobody has raced an F1 car for seven months, and I wonder when that was last the case. I mean, uh, well, I mean, it, maybe it, several decades ago. Well, it, I mean, I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't know the answer to, to, to the question, but I mean, I, I don't imagine that there has been that layoff since. Before Formula One started, I mean, I, you know, because uh, I mean, you'd have to have a season that sort of, you know, ended in sort of August, September time, didn't start again till March, April. So maybe someone can tell us. Um, I don't know. I, my strong suspicion is that there has never been a seven a seven month layoff, um, and it'll be interesting, won't it? Do you think that'll actually affect drivers, or do you think they'll just get in the car and they'll kind of go out and first practice and go, oh yeah, this is how you do it, and then it'll just be like they've never been away. I don't know, and that's why I'm kind of intrigued by it. I, I suppose, uh, I mean, they're they're so professional, aren't they? That it'll be visor down, FP1, and they'll just get straight back into it, and it, it will it will feel like any other race weekend. I, I can remember the only insight I can provide into this. I can remember having a conversation with Damon Hill um, sometime after he retired, um, and he said that. Uh, and he was talking about testing, not racing. But um, you know, they still have a winter layoff, and he get back in the car. Um, at the first test in the new year and he'd get back in the car and he'd think to himself I've forgotten how to do this this thing is a complete animal it's just trying to kill me I can't do this I've got to retire I mean how did I ever drive these things and then by the end of that session he'd be shouting at his engineers because the car didn't have enough power the handling was all to shit and, and it was like he'd never been away um, I think these guys are that good that despite the utterly extraordinary things that they get in and drive i think they can just they can just pick it up almost maybe not absolutely immediately but i I think i'd be amazed if there's any rustiness uh certainly come by the time even quality takes place let alone the race anyway they'll be perfectly sharp andrew because of all the sim racing they've been doing (laughs) yes exactly all the sim racing yes and all the sim racing i've been watching them doing uh yeah well good luck to them for that but of course yeah actually it is a point they they they, they, they will have been presumably all doing that and you know well yeah great Mm, okay let's not get stuck into that again um all right so okay let's have a little think about this 2020 season which is going to be an odd one um i mean many many grand prix simply aren't happening at all yeah Um, most obviously no monaco grand prix yeah um and plenty of others besides there were moments when uh it looked like there might not be any British Grand Prix and now we've got two or at least we've got the British Grand Prix and the 70th anniversary Grand Prix at the same track the following weekend but the amount of times I mean because I'm 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 quite a lot older than you the amount of times the British Grand Prix 
has been absolutely on the point of not happening, and then it happens. It's, it, the thing is, it's, as I said, it's never not happened, despite the fact that you know the BRDC are always falling out with the F1 rights holders and this, that, and the other, and yet somehow it always happens. Um, it happens, and actually, it's happening twice this year. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a great one for the for the trivia fans in years to come, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. So this new season that we have, I mean, we've got eight Grand Prix confirmed so far. Um, and, and apparently they're, they're actually aiming for 15 or 18 something, races something like in, that, yeah. in all. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be a very busy latter half of the year, isn't it, for the, for the Formula One teams? Um, and if they manage to pull off 18 races, well, that'll just feel like a full season of F1 racing, won't it? Um, but there's, there's an interesting point. Um, the season gets underway with two back-to-back Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring. Now, Andrew... It, who do you presumably you think that we're looking at more or less a repeat of the 2019 season and the 18 and the 17 season and many more before that with Lewis in the Mercedes dominating and romping off to a seventh title okay so the question you have to ask yourself is why isn't that going to happen what what has happened um okay Lewis is a year older um and he's not a youngster anymore but uh, he's 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 always been one of the fittest guys out there so I just don't and also the cars aren't as physically taxing to drive now as the, as they once were so I don't believe that's going to be a factor so what's changed um you know he is the best driver you know the cars are going to be extremely similar um because the regs have been tied down for so long so is someone really going to have you know found something amazing lewis will also have for this year i believe you remember that, that crazy steering system the in out push me pull you steering column which t- alters the toe of the front with that's banned for next year but i think he can use it this year um that's right yeah okay i'm not saying because formula one does have a strange way of and thank goodness for that um throwing the odd curve ball at you but all i'm saying now is i can't see a reason why Lewis won't be champion again and won't do it reasonably easily. Maybe um, Ferrari, particularly with Leclerc now fully bedded in the team, will give him a more run for his money. I don't believe that Bottas is going to be any threat to Lewis at all. Um, maybe the Red Bull um, is going is, is gonna to come good um, with Max. But I mean, for, I, I, myself, I don't see it. I, I think we're going to have... Even them, hopefully we'll have some really, really interesting races. Um, you know, it's great that some circuits, some of the really good circuits like um, like Silverstone and Spa and Monza um, and hopefully Suzuka uh, will still be on the calendar. Um, and it's always those old traditional circuits that tend to give the best races. So there may be some really good racing to watch. Um, but when, as far as the final outcome is concerned, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I would, wouldn't say I'd be amazed, but I'd be, I'd be very surprised if Lewis wasn't champion again. Okay, all I have to say is this, and, and I say this because actually I'm a huge Hamilton fan. Um, I want him to win that seventh title um, in 2020. And I, and I say this because I don't want to be complacent and then be disappointed if something unforeseen does happen. But I think Lewis's success recently has come from sort of metronomic consistency from rhythm. And that rhythm has been massively interrupted um, during this whole COVID-19 thing and the delayed start of the 2020 season. Also, with the first two races at the Red Bull Ring, that's a, a very, very tricky start for the Mercedes team. Lewis has won that race once, once uh... ever. And Max has won it the last two years. 
Um, so, in, in, funnily enough, in, in, in a Red Bull, you're, you're, you're not suggesting <laughs> skullduggery, are you? No, 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 I wouldn't. <laughs> no, not, not at all. But, you know, if we carry that form over, Max has a flyer, um, starts the, the season with a bang, wins the first two Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, you know, Lewis, perhaps, uh, it, perhaps his car isn't competitive yeah. um, around that circuit. And then all of a sudden, the, there's a very different complexion to the season. You see, I mean, part of me hopes you're right. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been a bit, um, I've blown a bit hot and cold on Lewis over the years, but I think that at the moment, he is one of the greatest drivers this sport has ever seen. And it's exactly what you say. It is, he never makes a mistake. I mean, I can't remember, you know, last season, whether he even spun a car in a qualifying session or anything. He, and, and when he goes wheel to wheel with someone, there is no one like him out there. Um, and... And he's in the best car uh, and everything else. But the thing about Mercedes uh, is, you know, they've often had slightly shaky starts to season. But it's, you know, and there have been lots of times when everybody said, oh, well, Ferrari have got them this time. And guess what? By the end of the season, it's, they've just turned it around because it's more than just about designing a quick car. There have been at least two seasons recently where they've not had the quickest car and they've still won the championship. Um, you know, they understand it's more about having a fast driver in the fast car. You, it, they understand the concept of team better than anybody um and that's why you know you may well find that you know red bull on a you know on on home territory do very well but you know even in a curtailed season both in terms of number of races and the period of time over which it elapses which obviously gives less time for the car to develop um i still think that by the end of it um i I can't see sufficient reason to think that a mercedes with lewis driving it isn't going to be on the top step again yeah, and the, well, the other thing as well is that the Mercedes team, operationally, it's been pretty flawless. And the same has not been true, certainly, of Ferrari. No, no. Um, which, which has actually perhaps been the difference between them. Um, okay, well, on the subject of Ferrari, before we move on from the 2020 season, um, let's just have a quick think about um, Seb Vettel, because he's on his way out from Ferrari. Yeah. Um, he's, I mean... He's going to be pretty keen, isn't he, to demonstrate that he hasn't lost it, that he's still worthy of a top ride? Yeah, no, absolutely he is. But, you know, but what we have, you know, and I speak uh, as, as, as a Vettel fan, I, I have been. I mean, I know that his conduct hasn't been great at times, but I think, uh, I, th- I, th- I think he's a bloke whose heart's in the right place who lets himself down every so often. Um, but I think fundamentally he's one of the good guys. Um, but what we do know is that when it starts to matter to him, when it gets important, he feels pressure. And when he feels pressure, he makes mistakes. So he has to have a, you know, a more grown-up approach to the season. Um, and, you know, and Leclerc, who is absolutely the heir apparent, um, he's not going to be going, you know, after you, Seb, you know, because I, the, I, the, you know, there's always 2021 for me. He is going to be up and at him from the get-go because he won't be thinking... Well, it's his team now, isn't yeah, it? And he won't be thinking of Seb. He'll be thinking about Lewis. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, absolutely. He wants to... Vettel wants to leave the sport... Um, with his somewhat tarnished reputation um, boosted and in a better place than it is now. But it's a risk. Um, and it wouldn't be a risk for every driver, but for him, who does feel the pressure and does make mistakes when he feels the pressure, um, yeah, he's got to get the balance right. Mm, yeah, OK. Oh, there's there's a lot to look forward to. Well, at least I hope there is. I mean, Me too. We, we, it, it might well turn out to be more of the same, but I'm just glad that we've got Formula One racing back. Um, it's It's been a long, long layoff. Um, Okay, well, one of the frustrations of this whole COVID-19 situation from a Formula One point of view is that the new set of regulations, they've been delayed. They were going to come in at the start of the 2021 season. Um, Now they're not coming in until 22. 
um, which is a real pity because it just means we've got you know more of the same this year and then more of the same next season as well. Well, except if I can just say that um, in 21 we do have the budget cap. Um, so okay, that does come in for 21. Yeah, then. so I believe. Um, someone will now tell me that I'm wrong, but I believe the budget cap comes in in 21. It's only the technical regulations that, that, have, been, that have been held until 22. Um, so yeah, so 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 there is so so, so that's interesting, isn't it? Um, but but then again, you know, you have the budget cap for 2021. Um, you know, that means if it starts on Jan one, I don't know when it actually starts. You know, by that stage, the development of the 2021 cars has already been done before the before the caps come in. So I don't think you'll start seeing the effect of the budget cap really until 22. Um, okay, so it's the same thing, really, isn't it? Well, I mean, to an extent. Um, I don't know if there's a good time to talk about the budget cap, but um, you know, the budget cap at the moment is it's going to be 145 million dollars per team. That's what you can spend. Um, and if you think that the top teams are spending anything up to 400 million dollars at the moment, certainly Mercedes are spending probably more than that. Uh, Ferrari, not a lot less than that, and Red Bull, not a lot less than that. Um, that sounds like a massive difference. However. However, 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 there are exclusions. So the money doesn't include what you pay your top drivers. Um, it's, uh, it doesn't include your marketing budget. It doesn't include the salaries of your top three executives. And it only does include, uh, include stuff done to make the car go faster. Okay, so there is a whole world of interpretation out there. Um, and, and and clever ways and creative accounting, all sorts of things that people will be able to do, teams will be able to do to shuffle money from one pot to another to make it look like they have um, kept within the rules. And, you know, the one thing that we know people in Formula One are better at than anything else in the world is getting <laughs> around the rules. Um, yeah, bending so, those rules. Yeah, so, I mean, call me a cynic, but... Um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, they will, you know, all the teams, particularly the top teams, will be employing people specifically at the moment for no purpose other than find ways of not breaking these rules, but getting around them. Um, and so let's see just how effective it really is. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So maybe Toto Wolf takes a £30 million pay rise and just happens to <laughs> buy for his own purpose a full scale wind tunnel or something. <laughs> I mean, you can see there's going to be so much fun in games. There's going to be so much fun. I mean, the, you know, the law of unintended consequences is going to kick in in Formula One. Like, I suspect like we've never seen it before. Yeah, those forensic accountants are going to have to be on it as well. But also the, the Formula One journalistic core, you know, they're going to have to really do some digging and try yeah. and keep on top of all this. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I, I think this budget cap is a very good move because... Well, it's it's we see it. We've seen it for the last few seasons of Formula One racing. There are currently only three teams that are rich enough to win races. That's the reality, isn't it? The reality is that for seven years, over seven years now, the first race of 2013 was the last time anything other than a Mercedes, a Red Bull, or Ferrari won a race. And you, of course, will be able to tell me who it was and what he was in. But it was. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, Kimi Räikkönen in a Renault masquerading as a oh, Lotus. There you go. That's an, I, was, I was going to say that, but so I thought it sorry. sounded I, that wrong. That was totally unfair of me. Um, but yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> seven years. Seven. I mean, that's you know, that's a career. Yeah. 
easily for most people for a lot of people that's a career in formula one gone and if you weren't one of those three teams you know if they didn't crash or fall off or one other you know normally expectations is that the best you can expect for us to come seventh um and that's your career and you know and that to me is fundamentally what is wrong with formula one um is the gap between the biggest and the smallest is wider than it's ever been and you can see it in on on the way the cars perform and you can see it in the number of cars on the track yeah yeah and and the the idea of this budget cap is to to try and level that playing field um and so that if you're uh well an aston martin taking over the the racing point um or if you're a, a williams or a haas you have a much better chance of competing with a, a, a mercedes or a ferrari or a red bull um and it's very clever actually to uh exclude certain things from that budget cap marketing budget and so on driver salaries because it does mean that if you are a mercedes and you want to leverage your f1 racing um you can spend as much as you like marketing it but if you're a williams or a house and you exist actually just to go racing um all your money can be spent on racing and you're spending in theory as much as the top teams are um hopefully that levels the playing field and we find ourselves with maybe six teams that can win races it would it would just turn the sport on its head wouldn't it 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 has that potential and the other good thing about the cap is that it's a sliding scale i can't remember the numbers but you know 145 million dollars is where it starts and it comes down from there i mean i would be happier for it to come down to you know 100 million dollars because these are still unimaginable numbers to me but um you know maybe i don't know the way the world works but you know we have a situation at the moment where there are you know 20 cars on the grid and yet you've got mclaren apparently on its knees mortgaging its historic race cars just so that it can survive you know you've got williams saying well you know completely up for sale and saying you know and 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 having to issue reassurances that they can actually get their cars to the grid this year you know these aren't you know had they gone tomorrow um you know little teams you, you you forget about five minutes later this is mclaren and williams these are two of the greatest names you know probably the two greatest british names um in 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 the history of you know formula one and they're both you know absolutely on the limit struggling to survive in the sport and if that doesn't tell you there's something wrong with it i don't know what does yeah you're absolutely right let's not be flippant though i mean 145 million dollars still a huge amount of money and you know gunther steiner will be looking at that going well, where am I going to find the other $45 million? <laughs> there we go. That's, that's just Formula One, I suppose. Um, so we're, we're looking forward to that, that cost cap coming in, the budget cap coming in, hopefully leveling the, leveling the playing field. But I think even more than that, we're looking forward to the 2022 regulation changes delayed um, for a season, supposed to come in in 2021, instead coming in in 22. Um, now, I mean, that and the budget cap... Um, we'll go into some more detail on the regulation changes in a moment but between them wow they really could change the face of f1 racing we really could see much more overtaking many many more cars and drivers capable of scoring podiums and victories Um, more than you know just the two or three drivers we've had recently in title contention i mean wow we're, we're potentially looking at a properly competitive category again and, and the brilliant thing, yeah, you know, the thing that I am most excited about um, is you know, other teams who look at Formula One at the moment and think, you know, four hundred million dollars to get you know, to, to compete at the top level, forget it. You know, make that eighty or a hundred million, and you know, there are lots of really, really good 
um, teams, you know, in F2 and F3, who are beginning, who may be beginning to think, well, you know, um, we've got some sponsors who quite fancy a bit of that, and maybe we could get on that. And then suddenly, you know, you know, I'm again, you know, sorry, I'm banging on about my age, but I'm more than old enough to remember, you know, times when, you know, we where you had, you know, a large number of cars in Formula One that didn't even, you know, there were so many cars that they had to have pre-qualifying, and lots of and lots of those didn't even get to race at the weekend because you had teams literally queuing up to race. Um, and you had bulging grids. And, and, you know, the thing is, if you've got, you know, 30 or 32 cars on a grid instead of 20, you've got half as many cars again. You've gone up 50%. You know, that's, you know, the opportunity for interesting stuff to happen just gets multiplied actually by a more than commensurate amount um, because cars, you know, you, cars are in traffic more often. They start tangling with each other more often. There's more lapping going on. There's just all sorts of stuff going on. And, and what happens is the racing gets more interesting. So anything that gets more teams into the sport and allows the teams that are already there to survive it's got to be good talking of making the racing more interesting let's have a quick look at these new regulations coming in in 22 um so the, the whole point of it is to more or less maintain current downforce levels so the cars will pretty much be as quick as they are i suppose um but the idea is to generate that downforce with the underside of the car rather than all the aerodynamic devices on top of the car um that the, the idea being to reduce the the wake the turbulence behind it so that a following car doesn't lose so much downforce so that it's easier to follow um, and chase and, and and therefore try and overtake um, very interesting numbers actually uh, the new regulations um, the, the the design of the new cars will apparently mean that a following car will only lose fourteen percent of its downforce. Whereas today it's 45%. So if you're in a Formula 1 car and you're coming up behind another car and you get in its wake, you've lost almost half your downforce. And that's why, that's why drivers find it so hard to get close enough to, to mount uh, an attack. Um, but, I mean, just imagine that. If they only lose 14%, that's some racing again. It is. And it's, you know, and it's a great step. It really is a great step. But my, my question is, um, you know, why do you have to have all that downforce in the first place? Um, you know, if you wanted to have really great racing, what you do is you just restrict downforce full stop. You wouldn't say, well, we'll just change it from on top of the car to underneath the car. You'd stop it altogether because what you would then do, let's say you doubled braking distances from high mm, speed yes, yeah true true how much overtaking are you going to get there i'm not sure what is, i don't understand the great god downforce i don't understand why people the organizers and the teams i suppose it's because it where the big teams feel that they can most easily extract a competitive advantage uh, by being very clever and the other thing is is that you know we know that um you know what happens or what has happened in the past when you've had i mean you know, effectively cars are going to go back to ground effect uh, which lots of people listening to this will remember um, from the late 1970s and the 1980s until it got banned. And it got banned for a very good reason because the cars were becoming undrivable. Um, you know, you had cars with generating so much downforce under the car, you, they basically had no spring rate at all. Um, the drivers all hated them. Um, and I think everybody breathed a massive sigh of relief when it, when, when, when it all got, got banned. So, you know, uh, I'm not saying that they can't be better at it now, that it won't be more sophisticated. But um, there is, I completely get the overtaking thing with the turbulence behind the car. But in terms of moving the downforce from above it to below it, there is some sense to me, as someone who is not, you know, technically qualified or an engineer in any sense, of nevertheless of robbing Peter to pay Paul a bit. I hope I'm wrong. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps you're right. And it's there's I think it's Tiff Nadell who makes a very interesting point about motorsport, and he says if uh, if just one car going through a corner is entertaining to watch, you've got a good discipline. You've got a good category there, Um, because if you have many cars going through that same corner, racing wheel to wheel, well, it'll just be spectacular. Um, If one car going through a corner on its own just looks locked down. Um, and totally pinned to the track, uh, you know, it's perhaps not such a spectacle. Um, what I would say, though, is I'm sure you've seen it as well. When when you're standing at, uh, you know, the right section of the right track, a really quick corner, and you see the speed that a Formula One car goes through there, you just, you think you're watching something in fast forward, don't you? It, yeah. It's astonishing. It, it, it is breathtaking, you know, if you are you know, rich enough to be able to get to the circuit and pay for the exorbitantly expensive grandstand <laughs> ticket, which will be positioned on the outside of those. You know, it, for those lucky people, it is. It is a. It is a um, an extraordinary sight. Um, I don't think it's any less extraordinary, frankly, than you know going to Le Mans um, and just climbing up up onto a bank free of charge and seeing uh, proper prototypes go through corners. But uh, it is. But is it as extraordinary as watching? you know what tiff was talking about you know a stream of cars all quite clearly on the limit um because they're oversteering and understeering and you can see the drivers you know fighting at the wheel and that sort of thing Uh, to me that is a that is a more entertaining spectacle and you could still have all of that and keep the cars fast just by trading aerodynamic grip for mechanical grip and you know that is you know that's not a new idea people have been talking about that you know frankly ever since um you know ground effect and big downforce came in but you know, I still don't really understand the argument against it because Tiff is absolutely right. You know, for Formula One to look interesting, cars have to look interesting um, in the way they go around a track. And you know, and, and the telly always slows things down, doesn't it? Um, and I'm not that's, saying, that's the other thing. You you lose that spectacle you, through the TV. You do, um, and I just think, you know, hopefully they will become more interesting to look at, and the overtaking will get better. But. You know, I want them to be absolutely riveting. You know, I mean, I, I, I want them to look like... I want to be able to see a driver do his job. I think that's what it is. And this was my problem with the Halo. And I understand the Halo and I understand the requirement for it and everything else. But it's just another bar. It's it's like when they put high sides on the cars after Senna's accidents. And I completely understand that and wouldn't question that for a second. But the the, the further you put the driver away from the viewer, the less easy it is to see what he's up to. Um, but at least if the car's attitude is changing and you can see hands soaring at, at a wheel, you can see that, that car is absolutely on the limit. Now, we all know that Lewis, when he, you know, goes into Pouin at Spa on a qualifying lap, he's absolutely on the limit. But it, it may not look that way. And I think the cars have to do more than just be fast. I think they need to look fast, too, for it to become a proper spectacle again. Yep, you're quite right. With the very high sides, the very tight cockpit, the halo there... Um, and particularly on a on a dry circuit when the car is pinned to the ground, you can almost forget there's a person in there at all. And 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 sorry, sorry to bang on a little bit, but that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we I don't think um, in the main love Formula One for the machinery, um, or indeed any sport for the machinery. We don't love, you know, tennis for Roger Federer's racket, do we? You know, it's the people. That's what matters. They are our heroes. It is their skill. It is their talent that we pay either by going to a track or turning on our telly and paying a license fee or a sky sub or whatever um that's what we see and the more barriers you put between 
us and what we love, which is watching, you know, extraordinary, exceptionally gifted human beings do stuff we can barely imagine, the less of a spectacle you're going to have. Um, and I think at the moment, you know, everybody's thinking about the machinery and, you know, and speed and that sort of thing. And, and I'm missing the fundamental point, which is what I said earlier about, you know, the cars have to do more than be fast. They have to look fast too, because that's the way we see our heroes doing their stuff. Yeah. As we alluded to earlier, um, on the 9th of August at Silverstone, uh, there will be the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, because this being 2020, it's the 70th year of Formula One, first year in 1950. Um, so it's quite a good opportunity to sort of reflect and look back, um, particularly as we're having a bit of a moan and a grumble about modern F1 racing. When do you think, Andrew, the Formula One racing um, was at its best? When were the technical regulations and the technology, um, when did they converge to sort of deliver the most spectacular racing and the most exciting cars to watch? It's a really difficult question to answer. And I don't mean that in terms of I'm not sure. I mean, it's because it is such a bittersweet double-edged thing because... Frankly, Formula One was at its most interesting when it was also at its most dangerous. Um, exactly right. And, yeah. and, and you can't divorce the two. You know, I can sit there and go on about three three litre DFV cars of the late 60s and early 70s. And weren't they wonderful watching them oversteer around the place? And that's when men were men and, and everything else. But, you know, a lot of people died. Um, and and you can't forget that. And, you know, society has, deci- has decided, and I understand this as well, that that is no longer an acceptable price to pay in a way that it was back then. So it's, it's really difficult um, because... Just, just, just on that, yeah. um, I, it's, it's, this is very relevant. I, I was in a room once um, when Max Verstappen was asked which era of Formula One he would most like to have raced in. And he said, this one, the cars are the fastest and they're the safest. So obviously this one. And you think, uh, oh, yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, I mean... I'm going to say something which is, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but danger is, nobody wants to see anyone get hurt, let alone, God forbid, get killed. But the problem is, is that the moment you make these things completely safe, you sanitise the sport um, and you compromise the spectacle. Um, And, you know, I, as some will know, I do a lot of historic car racing um which is you know those cars aren't particularly safe um but the thing is and the thing has always been to me when there's been some big crash somewhere but you know it often happens at goodwood where someone you know gets hurt in a revival and some people say you shouldn't be racing those sorts of things to me if you knowing those the risks that you take you get in the car and you go out there then that's your business isn't it that's what you have decided to do and you do it because you love doing it and you have decided that for you those risks are acceptable you know no one is making you get in the car and if you don't like that you don't have to do it now you know i think that there is a way um of providing the spectacle in modern formula one without materially making it more dangerous um because the cars themselves are so safe and i'm not saying for a moment you should stop building cars out of bent metal again because that would be clearly ridiculous um but for instance you know um you shouldn't have these massive runoff areas where people can just throw their cars off the circuit and onto effectively what is another circuit made out of tarmac and drive straight back onto it again you know there should be consequences um because that's when you know, it's another way of illustrating a driver's skill. Um, and I just think that 
um, it's just gone too far the other way. Obviously, you can't possibly have any um, risk to uh, any member of the public. Um, but to those who are doing it of their own volition, um, I just think that th- there should be consequences. I'm not saying more than that, um, but there should be more consequences in terms of maybe the car retiring or getting stuck in a trap or something um, You know, than, than there are at the moment because it's too easy to... Um, push your car too far and for it not to uh, and for it not to matter and you know and if you talk to the you know to certainly you know lots of the guys who used to race years ago they'll, they'll tell you a similar thing i think um so yeah there you go i've said it yeah no i think you're right i think um you know we, we don't even have to bring the barriers closer to the circuit so that drivers hit those <clears throat> if they if they run off the, the track um i think gravel traps i mean they've all been torn out and tarmac poured in but Gravel traps are, are perhaps the solution. You know, if you run wide, you drop a wheel into one, um, you might spin off, you might get beached, you, you might do some damage to your car, and that's the end of your race. Um, but that, what we see at the moment is these huge car park-like areas, um, and drivers can, you know, really attack a corner knowing that if they overcooked it a little bit, there are no consequences. Exactly. Um, exactly. It is. It is a frustration. It's a very difficult, very difficult topic to discuss, isn't it? Because, it, as as you've suggested, the spectacle and the danger of Formula One racing are they seem to be linked, um, perhaps not inextricably, but they, there's a there's a sort of correlation there. Um, and it's uh, neither of us are saying that it would be great if if Formula One drivers were at more risk. You know, if if there was more peril, more harm. Um, but I think I think consequence is the right word. Okay, I think that I think it would be massively better if drivers were at more risk of retiring from a race by making mistakes. Absolutely, that should definitely happen. Uh, I did some research into this quite recently, and and you know, and the ratio of, of of retirements. Now, obviously, cars are more reliable now, but also people aren't retiring because um, they're going off the circuit and coming straight back on again. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the way to say it. I think it should be. I think it should be much more risky for drivers to risk retirement by leaving a circuit than it is at the moment. Um, there should be consequences. And absolutely, to reiterate, neither of us are suggesting for a moment that we want drivers to be hurt or anything else because that would be clearly ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, co- consequence is the right term and consequence is what's lacking. Um, we're not we're not going to get stuck into this now from uh, sim racing. You know, there's, there's no consequence there. And that's why there's no... There's no heroism in those who do it especially well. No, but it is fun. You know, I can absolutely, you know, and we're not going to go down the sim racing because I've already had enough of the kicking. <laughs> but it, it, it is, you know, even I who've done it a tiny little bit and, not, and really very, very poor at it, you know, as a thing to do, it's fun. Um, but, you know, Formula One has to be more than fun. It has to be a sport. It has to be, you know, it has to have a certain... Um, uh, well, I was about to say gladiatorial, but that's but, but 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 that sort of brings death back into the arena. But it has to have that um, level of peril um, of at least retiring from a race for it to be interesting. Yeah, you have to feel like you're watching a group of people do something that you could not comprehend doing yourself. Um, okay, all right. Well, since it is the 70th anniversary season of Formula One, um, we should look back, I think, a little bit and. And wonder, you know, who have been the titans of the sport over the years or who have been the sort of unsung heroes. Um, 
Who who springs to mind when you think of the greatest F1 drivers of all time? You've already mentioned Hamilton is on that list. Lewis is on that list. And, you know, I think the more I've seen of Lewis, I think, you know, would he be in... I think if you ask most people uh, who knew about the sport, um, maybe not now because sometimes, you know, you need a bit of history, you need a bit of time to look back on a person's achievements. It's like a car takes a bit of time to become a classic. And maybe people at the moment don't necessarily appreciate just how good Lewis is. But, you know, he is special in a way that, you know, so, you know, he's abs- is he up there with Senna, um, in my view? Absolutely. Is he up there with Fangio? Was he up there with Clark? I, I don't see how you... I mean, you can prove anything you like with statistics. And, you know, you know in statistics, Fangio is the greatest ever because um, he did 51 races and he won 24 of them. So he basically won almost half of the races that he did. And no one's ever got anywhere near that. Um, but then, you know, if you were... If Giancarlo Baghetti... Um, Giancarlo Baghetti won the uh, 1962 French Grand Prix, okay? in a Ferrari. And the reason I mentioned it was it wasn't just his first Formula One race for Ferrari. It was his first Formula One race. Yeah? Wow. <laughs> he'd, never driven, he'd never driven a Formula... He'd never done a World Championship Formula One Grand Prix before. If he then thought, well, it's never going to get better than that, I'm retiring. Yeah? He would have a, a, a start-to-finish ratio twice as good as Fangio's. But we wouldn't be sitting here and saying Giancarlo Baghetti was the greatest driver that there'd ever been. We'd be sitting here saying Giancarlo Baghetti got lucky because the fact because the record shows that he went on and did loads more Grand Prix and never won another one. Um, so, so it has to be a judgment, doesn't it? It has to be a judgment, and you also have to factor in, you know, look at Sterling. Um, you know, Sterling was his own worst enemy in many ways because you know the reason he didn't win multiple world championships is because he would. He, he he drove the cars he wanted to drive, which weren't necessarily the cars that were best placed to win world titles. Um, you know, he was very keen on driving British cars and he was very loyal to teams that, you know, couldn't provide him with the machinery that he needed. Um, you know, and, you know, okay, to me, Sterling, and I know he, he, he was a friend of mine, so it's uh, it's difficult for, you know, me to be objective about it. And I know I talked about this in the podcast about Sterling, but, you know, the fact that in 1958, he spoke up at the appeal of Mike Hawthorne for being chucked out of the Portuguese Grand Prix and got him reinstated. And that's why he lost the world championship. Um, that, to me, is... Or, you know, or Peter Collins, you know, gave his Ferrari to Fangio so that Ferrari could win his fourth championship, thinking to himself, well, you know, I'm a young lad. He was in his mid-twenties. I've got years and years and years to win my championship, whereas Fangio's a bit of an old boy, so you know, we'll let him have his moment in the sun. To me, it's guys like that who don't win world championships, but behave in a way which, to me, is the behaviour of a true champion um, who you know, we should be thinking of on these lists as much as anybody with you know, multiple world championships who, you know, clearly, you know, nobody who ever won a world championship wasn't a good driver. But, you know, someone like, I would say Hawthorne, for instance, you know, he won one race in 1958, Sterling won four, um, and Hawthorne was world champion. So, you know, is he a worthy world champion? Well, maybe. Um, was Sterling a worthier one? In my view, undoubtedly. It's, it's a very good point that you make, because taking that very one-dimensional statistical view of it um, means that, Actually, in many cases, um, we are rewarding um, quite uh, sort of reprehensible behaviour. You know, I think I think Michael Schumacher, for instance, Adelaide '94, um, wasn't it? Um, running Damon Hill off the road. You know, that's that is not the behaviour of um, a true champion, somebody that we should all idolise. 
um, and yet that contributed to his to his career statistics. Um, and and so it, it's there is a there is something in that we we actually don't. I mean, sense. I mean, Senna running Prost yes. off the road at, at Suzuka. I mean, you know, I Senna was you know of people who raced when you know I was a grown up. Senna was. You know, in terms of, you know, I massively admire Lewis, but I wouldn't call him a hero of mine. Senna was a hero of mine. Um, but even I'm not blind to the fact that, you know, he behaved appallingly at times. Um, and yes, absolutely, you know, that championship in particular, like Michael's was in 94, was tainted. No question about it at all. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and then you sort of have to continue on this thread and you think, well, OK, who has contributed, you know, even more to to Formula One um, and who's sort of spoken of issues much bigger than Formula One as well. Um, I think we're seeing Lewis do that at the moment. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. He's, he, you know, he, he's, he's making waves in, in an incredible way with everything he's saying about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and, you know, slightly more closely related to Formula One. So Jackie Stewart, um, a real champion of improving safety in this sport, um, even at a time when it wasn't a very fashionable attitude to have. Yeah, but even Jackie, and I know this, sorry to butt in, even Jackie thinks it's gone too far. Oh. <laughs> okay? Um, and I know this because uh, a few years ago I interviewed him um, for actually something which, um, <laughs> eight years later, it's going to come out this year, when I'll, I'll bang on about it at another time. Um, but, um, yeah, even he, you know, he, the greatest single campaigner for, for safety in Formula One, a man who has, I think it's something like 25 garden benches outside his house, uh, each one a memorial to a friend of his who died in the sport, um, and the work that he did and the lives that didn't get lost because of what he and a few others, Graham Hill as well, um, did to promote safety is, is, is never to be underestimated and is a massively commendable thing. But even he thinks that, the racing has become too sterile now. Sorry. No, that's, that's, that's very interesting to hear. Um, okay, well, I think we can begin to wind this one down now. Um, but I, I want to hear uh, who's do you think was the greatest single drive in Formula One of all time? I think I'm going to go with uh, the one that springs to mind right now is Lewis 2008 Silverstone um, in his second year in Formula One, um, and it was a torrential, torrentially wet race, um, and he was the only one who managed to keep any heat in his tyres, in his brakes, and he just romped off, and he won the thing by a huge margin, while his title rival, Felipe Massa, had five spins, and I just remember watching that race live and going, oh my god, we've got someone here. Yeah, yeah, um, I've always struggled with this because it's it's so difficult to do across the eras. Um, I can offer a few though. Um, uh, I think I think the one that most people, certainly you know, who 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 sort of been at it for a bit, would say is is Fangio at the Nurburgring of '57, uh, where after a pit stop, he was just like ridiculously miles behind the two Ferraris of Hawthorne and Collins, um, and he just drove like a man possessed, broke the lap record every single lap. Um, and overhauled them and it was his last ever Grand Prix win and it was the last ever Grand Prix win by Maserati although nobody actually knew that at the time um, one of the ones that I just in terms of a stat or just in terms of a fact to get your head around um, Germany 1968 at the Nürburgring um, Jackie won it okay in the Matra by such a margin but by the time the bloke who came second came over the line Jackie was in the grandstands watching the race 
<laughs> he won by four minutes. Okay. Wow. So you know, he literally he got and around up, that place and around that place. So I mean, that, in terms of just utter dominance, that was um, incredible. Obviously, there was Senna uh, at Donington in nineteen ninety three in the European Grand Prix. Um, although Rubens Barrichello in the same race, and nobody really thinks about this, actually overtook more cars. Um, what else have we got? Italy seventy one, uh, six cars passed within past the finishing line, all within six tenths of a second of each other. Um, and it was the first race which had an average speed of over 150. Uh, uh, Villeneuve and Arnoux at Dijon in 1979. If you haven't ever seen that footage, you will have done. But just go Dijon 79, Villeneuve, and just 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 watch those two at it. In fact, neither of them won. They came second and third. But probably the greatest singles racing racing duel I've ever seen in Formula One. Um, where else? Um, actually, I, 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 I could do a few more. But the one I I, I want to point out is um is canada in 2011 jensen um mm, yeah i mean if you if you look at what he had six pit stops he was last in the race twice after the the, the, the second of those times he overtook the entire field you know including including schumacher um including vettel and uh, and won the race on the last lap. I mean, in pouring rain. And, and you know, Jensen was always such a, although he did take out Lewis in that race and also uh, clouded Alonso, he was always such a, uh, a fan, he, he drove with, with such feel and in marginal weather conditions as they were that day, um, like few others that have ever been. Um, you know, there was, that was just a time when no one could get anywhere near him. And he literally overtook the entire field pretty much twice to win that race. So yeah, that's got to be up there too. Yeah, that was an extraordinary performance. Um, well, you've you've listed some amazing highlights from uh, across the decades there, and uh, do you know what? That is why I will be tuning in to the twenty twenty season because I know that it might only happen twice or three times or maybe only once, but I know that at some point while watching a live Grand Prix this year. I will leap out of my seat and go, oh my God, I cannot believe what I'm witnessing. Um, and that's why, that's why I give away all those sunny Sunday afternoons and why I get up at 6am on a Sunday, you know, to watch that. That's why I do it, just for those moments that I know I'll be talking about years from now. I am exactly the same. I mean, I have been, um, if anybody from Formula One ever read what I wrote, I'm sure they don't, they would be so bored of me because I have moaned about it for so long. But the fact is, is that, you know, come Australia, three o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, I'm just up. I'm there. I just, I, every single one I watch. And, you know, and at the end of a particularly dull season, I always get to the last race and I think, well, that's it. I'm never doing this again. But I always do. Um, And you're absolutely right, because just occasionally, and I would actually say in the last couple of years, we've had some pretty good races. um, You'll get an absolute cracker. And when Formula One works, it is absolutely outstanding and i think um you know i think that formula one can go a lot further than it has and i hope that it does um i hope more private teams come in and if that means big teams like mercedes and ferrari move out then so be it um but i think that with the budget cap and hopefully with these change in technical regs and more than anything else with the change in leadership at the top of formula one um i think that there is let's be optimistic let's say that we hope and believe there is reason to hope um, that the future of Formula One is brighter now than it's been for a while. Don't let us down, guys. Yeah, bring it on. Um, 
Well, that was fun. I enjoyed having a, a chat about Formula One again. It's been too long. Um, okay, well, it, let's leave that one there. Um, please do remember, everybody, that Drive Nation is now on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Drive Nation. There's also a link to that in the description of this podcast, and you'll, you'll find another link um, on Drive Nation on Instagram. That's at drivenation underscore. Um, if, if you would like to support us each month with just a little bit of money, it makes a huge difference, and we're enormously grateful to everybody who has contributed so far. Um, the last thing to say is please do remember to uh, like this podcast, give it a rating wherever you can, um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That really does help us. Um, and we'll we'll make sure we talk to you again next week. Uh, and by then, we'll know who's leading the 2020 F1 Championship. That's exciting. That is exciting. Let's well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so okay, so, so let's let's leave it on this. Who do you, so you think? I presume you think it's going to be Max. I think I do think Max. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go Leclerc. Ooh, this will be fun. It'll be, it'll be Lewis, won't it? All right. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, we look forward very much to catching up with you again uh, this time next week. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.